Welcome back to NC Realtors Redefined, the NC Realtors podcast. On this episode, from our Mobile Monday series on Facebook, NC Realtors General Counsel Will Martin gives an overview of this year's forms changes. But first, do you have feedback on a story or a topic that you'd like to hear covered on this podcast? Then give the NC Realtors Redefine a call at 336-550-4437. When leaving your voicemail, be sure to tell us your name and where you're from. Your comments may be used on a future episode of NC Realtors Redefine. My name is Will Martin. I'm counsel for the North Carolina Realtors. And I have been now for, uh, just started my 25th year, which is just sort of amazing to me. Uh, Bob Dylan said, time's a jet plane and moves too fast. Um, There's a lot of truth in that. But uh, it's that time of year uh, when we roll out uh, new and hopefully improved versions of our standard forms and usually throw in a couple of new ones uh, into the mix. And I am here today to talk about just a few of those changes. I spent 90 minutes a couple of Mondays ago uh, just talking about the changes to the residential forms. Um, and so I'm not going to be able to cover the um, anything other than just a few of the residential forms that I selected that I think uh, are sort of at the top of my list of things that I think you need to know about. But there are uh, summaries, bullet point summaries of the uh, changes to the residential forms, the commercial forms, the um, long-term property management forms, and you can access those on the NC Realtors website. Um, one way to do it is to sign in to the members only side with your username and password, and you'll see a little uh, Q&A quick link at the top of the page. That's where we archive all of the Q&As that we do. But if you click on the um, forms button <clears throat> on the next page, there are a lot of subcategories under forms because we've written a lot of Q&As about forms. But one of the categories is summary of forms changes. And if you click on that, uh, you'll see links to uh, three different summaries of the changes to the residential forms, the commercial forms, and the long-term property management forms. Um, in the few minutes I have with you today, I'm going to zero in on nine of the residential forms, uh, six of which are existing forms that have changes, and three of which are new. Um, the six forms that have undergone changes that I want to spend a few minutes going over are the offer to purchase and contract, the backup contract addendum, the additional provisions addendum, the exclusive right to sell listing agreement, the exclusive buyer agency agreement, and the professional services disclosure and election form. And then the three new forms that I want to highlight for a few minutes are an offer to purchase and contract worksheet, which you'll find is form number 360. There's a new exclusive tenant representation agreement, that's form 460. And there's a new broker to builder referral agreement, 
which is form 731. Um, just jumping right into the changes, the offer to purchase and contract, there are two things that I just want to mention. The most significant, I think, are the changes that we've made to paragraph two, which you know is the fixtures paragraph of the offer to purchase. Um, gosh, over the years, uh, that paragraph has undergone many changes. Um, it's still fundamentally the same, but we've, uh, of course, added some new things to the laundry list of items that the parties will consider to be fixtures, and we've reorganized the format uh, a significant extent to try to uh, aid understanding of the fixtures paragraph. We continue on the hotline, my partner's bill, John and I, to get lots and lots of questions about uh, whether something stays as a fixture or whether it goes as personal property. And um, I think we get too many questions about it, quite honestly. I think agents can do a better job both on the, both on the listing side and the uh, buyer agent side in trying to make sure that the uh, understanding of the parties about what's going to stay and what's going to go are memorialized in the contract. And sort of to that end, uh, there's a new warning that you'll see right at the very top of paragraph two, and it warns agents and parties that they should not assume that items will or won't be part of the sale based on an oral or written statement that's outside the contract. For example, the MLS. I can't tell you how many questions I've gotten where, um, you know, it said refrigerator included in the MLS, but unfortunately the refrigerator wasn't included in the sales contract. Does it stay or go? Um, I'd say I'd, I'd put money on it uh, going, not staying. It's obviously going to depend on the particular circumstances, but just get far too many of those questions. And so I think if agents and their parties will spend a little more time uh, taking greater care to think about that and to put it in the contract and don't make any assumptions, then uh, that'll help. You'll, you'll end up buying far fewer refrigerators and washers and dryers and all other kinds of things. Okay, the biggest change, I guess, is um, if you look at the laundry list of items that are considered to be fixtures by the parties, we've, uh, we've, we've tried to make it clear that any smart version of an item that's on the laundry list and any related equipment that's used exclusively to operate uh, a smart device that's included are included uh, by default. So an example would be uh, light fixtures. Light fixtures are on the list of uh, things that are included. That would include smart light bulbs. I, I gather there is such a thing. Uh, doorbells are mentioned on the laundry list. So it'll include a nest doorbell or, or some other type of smart doorbell. How about a smart appliance? Well, that's a yes and a no. It's yes if the appliance is on the laundry list, 
And you all, I'm sure, know by now that range, stove, or oven are listed on the laundry list of things that the parties will consider to be fixtures. So um, a smart range uh, will be included in the sale unless it's excluded. And of course, the parties can always uh, exclude it. But if the seller wants to take it, uh, they need to exclude it as personal property or um, exclude it in the, um, I think it's the last subsection in paragraph two. You know, on the other hand, um, you know, I mentioned refrigerators and washers and dryers. Uh, you can have smart refrigerators and smart washers and dryers now. Would they be included? And the answer is no. And that's because refrigerators and washers and dryers, and unless they're built in, I guess, which I think would probably be rare, uh, they're not on the laundry list of fixtures, so they don't stay. So it's only things that are on the list. If there's a smart version of one of those things on the list, it will stay unless the parties agree otherwise. Uh, how about a smart thermostat? Uh, yes, because we've added thermostats to the laundry list. Uh, how about a virtual assistant like Alexa? My answer would be no. Um, remember that I said the laundry list now includes any related equipment used exclusively to operate a smart device. The word exclusively is important there because uh, I don't have one, but I know a lot of people have Alexas or other types of virtual assistants. And my understanding is that they're typically used for purposes other than or in addition to uh, operating smart devices like uh, placing online grocery store orders or, or simply asking questions. So since the Alexa is not used exclusively to uh, operate a smart device in the house, then uh, my reading of the new wording is that the Alexa would be considered personal property that the seller would take with them unless the parties agreed otherwise. Uh, what's an example of a device used exclusively to operate a smart device? Well, a smart home hub uh, that connects devices on a home automation network and controls communications among them would be an example. So if there's a hub that's just used exclusively uh, as sort of the go-between, as I think of it, between your uh, Alexa or your cell phone and the smart devices that are in your house, then that hub would be considered part of the sale and would stay unless the parties agree otherwise. The other thing I want to mention about the uh, fixtures provision is that uh, some new wording will require the seller to unpair any smart device or related equipment that's going to be part of the sale from any personal property device that it's paired with. So, you know, your cell phone is used to operate some of the smart devices uh, in your home or your virtual assistant. You need to unpair those from the devices that uh, are going to be staying. The other thing I want to mention in uh, the offer to purchase is in paragraph 20. Uh, we've added a new sentence there. It's very legalistic kind of wording, but uh, hopefully it will clarify when an electronic notice is considered to have been delivered. Uh, consider this example. It's actually a real-life situation that I got a question about on the hotline. That's actually what triggered uh, this new wording being added to the contract. 
buyer agent emails a signed notice of termination to the listing agent on the last day of the due diligence period at 4.59 p.m., according to the buyer agent's email program. Well, according to the listing agent's email program, the email was received by the listing agent at 5.01 p.m. And of course, they had a dispute about it, and I'm not making this up. Uh, the question that was posed to me is, when was the notice delivered? Because the contract says that the buyer can terminate during the due diligence period by delivering written notice of termination to the seller. So when is delivery? Is it when it's sent or is it when it's received? Uh, and it's a good question. So we thought we needed to clarify that. And the new wording clarifies that uh, in this example, the notice would have been considered delivered at 4.59 p.m. So we went with when it was sent, not when it was received. Uh, so long as the buyer agent properly sends the email in a form that's capable of being received by the listing agent system, and the email is sent to any electronic address listed for the recipient of the email in the notice information section of the contract. Good reason why, you know, you need to have uh, that part of the contract filled out so that uh, there'll be a, a place you can receive notice. <clears throat> okay, that's all I've got to say about the contract. There were a few other changes, but those are the, the ones that I wanted to mention to you. Backup contract addendum. Um, as you know, the due diligence fee uh, under the backup contract addendum becomes due and payable if and when the seller notifies the buyer that the backup contract has become primary. Now, in the old version, uh, the buyer had five days from the notice from the seller to deliver the due diligence fee, and that's been cut down to two days in the new version. So if you use that backup contract addendum and you're representing the buyer uh, or the seller, I guess, you know, be advised that that delivery period has been cut from five days to two days. The additional provisions addendum, <clears throat> um, I'm excited about a new uh, provision we've added addressing pools and spas inspection. Um, it's difficult when somebody calls and there's a pool involved and it's off season, so the pool's been winterized. And um, the hard part is determining if there's anything that has to be done to get the pool in position to be inspected, who's responsible for those costs? That might be um, taking the pool cover off, which I think sometimes can be very uh, significant things. Uh, maybe filling the pool up with water if it's been drained partially for the winter. So uh, this will help. It, it, it's going to require the parties to agree which of them will be responsible for the cost of preparing the pool to be inspected and for rewinterizing it following the inspection. So there's a checkbox for buyer or seller. Uh, note that if the parties don't check the box, they forget to, and please don't forget to, but if you forget to check the buyer or the seller box, the default is that the buyer will be responsible for the cost of preparing the pool to be inspected and for rewinterizing it following the inspection. 
Okay, moving on to the exclusive right to sell listing agreement. There are two paragraphs I want to mention briefly. <clears throat> Excuse me. The first one is paragraph 10, the marketing paragraph. Now, you all are probably familiar with this already because this, this form actually rolled out May 1st. And the reason it rolled out May 1st was because the uh, NAR mandated that all MLSs adopt the uh, so-called clear cooperation policy no later than May 1st. And so we changed the marketing paragraph of the listing agreement so that it will, I think, work a little better with the uh, clear cooperation policy. Um, most of the changes in paragraph 10 are changes in format rather than substance. Uh, in other words, we've reorganized the order of the paragraph. The essential substantive change is that submission of the listing to MLS will be mandatory at some point in time unless the seller and the listing firm agree that the listing will be a, uh, an office exclusive, quote unquote. Uh, and if the listing will be an office exclusive, there's a new office exclusive option in subparagraph F that should be selected. And uh, there's a note in paragraph subsection F. Uh, if you uh, select the office exclusive option, you shouldn't select any of the marketing options in subparagraph C. And that's basically because in an office exclusive under the clear cooperation policy, you can't do any public marketing because if you do public marketing, then you have to submit it to the MLS for cooperation with other MLS participants within one business day. So you select the office exclusive option. You don't select any of the marketing options. And if at some point during the listing, the seller and the firm decide that, hey, let's market this property to the public, then the listing agreement can be amended at that time. Uh, the other thing I want to mention in the uh, exclusive right to sell listing agreement is paragraph nine. Um, it's got about a half dozen duties of the listing firm and everything that's in the new version of paragraph nine was in the old version. All we've done is we've kind of changed the order or the great bulk of what we've done is changed the order. We've broken it down into five subparagraphs uh, for ease in uh, understanding and explaining. And the forms committee believe that uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what the code of ethics says about disclosing the disclosure of other offers and how that works. You know, there's an ethical uh, standard of practice, uh, standard of practice 1-15 that addresses uh, when you as a listing agent must disclose the existence of other offers on the property. And so that was moved to a new note at the beginning of the paragraph for purposes of emphasizing it, but it's not new. It was in paragraph nine all along. We've just kind of moved it around a little bit. <clears throat> That's all I've got to say about the listing agreement. Uh, the exclusive buyer agency agreement. We've added alternatives in paragraph three when, for when the buyer agency agreement ends, uh, depending on whether the buyer intends to purchase a single property or multiple properties. I think the uh, probably the majority of buyers uh, who enter into a buyer agency agreement intend on buying 
a single property where they're going to live. Um, if they intend to purchase a single property, uh, you'll check the first box and it will provide that the agreement will end either when they've purchased a single property or on a, an agreed upon date, whichever occurs first. So the agreement's over if they buy a property. You know, on the other hand, if you've got somebody, an investor or somebody else who might possibly buy multiple properties uh, using your services, you would check the second box. And um, the second box makes it clear that the agreement ends on an agreed upon date. So even though the buyer may purchase a property, the agreement continues in effect until it's um, the agreed upon termination date. Okay, last of the forms I want to mention that have changes is the professional services disclosure and election form. Uh, we've added some new wording in the instructions immediately above the list of providers to emphasize that the form can be amended after it is first signed to address additional services that may be considered after the form is first completed. Uh, we've also reorganize the list of professional services to some extent uh, to group those that are related to inspections together. Uh, we've added a new line for uh, reinspections of agreed upon repairs. And on the second page, we've added a new note regarding radon and other environmental quality issues uh, that is primarily to encourage the testing of any private drinking water well for the presence of radon and other contaminants. Okay, three new forms. The Offer to Purchase and Contract Worksheet, uh, Form 360. The purpose of this is we've, we've managed to get, I think, virtually all of the blanks and check boxes in the Offer to Purchase and Contract listed on just a little bit more than one page. And as its name suggests, this form was designed as a worksheet that a listing agent or a buyer agent can use with their client to keep track of the terms of an offer uh, that's being negotiated or perhaps has been negotiated. Um, as there's a warning at the top and it stresses that this worksheet may not be used to create a contract. And I'll just caution you if you are uh, transmitting this form back and forth to an agent on the other side of a possible transaction, be careful how you use it because it's at least possible that uh, you could, you could uh, unwittingly create a contract using this form, notwithstanding what the uh, warning says at the top. So be very careful of that. Um, the Exclusive Tenant Representation Agreement, Form 460. You know, if a broker's acting as an agent for someone who's looking for a residential property, the, the Real Estate Commission's rules require that the broker and the uh, prospective tenant have a written agreement. And so this form can be used to comply with the Commission's rules. And um, if you look at it and use the buyer agency agreement, you'll see that it's patterned pretty closely after the exclusive buyer agency agreement. Uh, it also addresses dual and designated agency for situations where the prospective tenant may be interested in a property the, the tenant agent's firm has listed for rent. 
Uh, last form I'm going to mention, I'm, I'm kind of excited about this one too. It's a broker to builder referral agreement, form 731. This form is designed to put into writing a builder's agreement to compensate a firm for the referral of a prospect for the construction of a house, which comes up quite a bit. Uh, and if applicable, the purchase of a property from the builder that the house will be built on. So it includes alternative compensation provisions depending on whether the uh, buyer agent's compensation will be paid only on the cost of the construction or also on the cost of the property if the prospect's purchasing the property from the builder. Uh, there's a note at the top of the first page that makes it clear that this is a referral agreement only and it will not suffice as an agency agreement with either the builder or the buyer. Uh, there are also signature lines for the prospect at the bottom to confirm that they've been made aware of the terms of the referral agreement before entering into any contract with the builder. Uh, that's there because disclosure uh, of a referral with the expectation of being compensated is required by Real Estate Commission Rule 58A.0109B. That's all the time I have for today. If you have questions, don't hesitate to contact Bill, John, or me on the hotline. The email address is legalhotline at ncrealtors.org legal hotline at ncrealtors.org. Uh, if you want to have a conversation about your question, just email your phone number and request a call and whichever one of us is handling the hotline uh, at that time will be in touch with you. Uh, I hope this has been helpful. Thanks and have a great day. To get exclusive NC Realtors content, join the NC Realtors Mobile Mondays group on Facebook. Be sure to catch up on every episode of NC Realtors Redefined by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or SoundCloud.